Last week, we were asked the important question, why are we here? Why are we in church? Why have we gathered in this place? And today, we're going to be asked another question. What do you seek? What are you looking for in life, in ministry, in family? What do you want to see more than anything else in the whole wide world? What is the one thing that will keep you going no matter what? I would argue that one reason so many of us struggle in life and in faith is because we are seeking the wrong things. Or to be gracious, perhaps we are just looking at things the wrong way round. Four years ago, I met a pastor who was going and blowing in life and in ministry. He was meeting new people inside and outside the church on a regular basis. He was sharing the gospel with believers and unbelievers, serving on committees, counseling folks, accepting invitations to preach in various churches and retreats, That's how he came to know some of you. On the surface, things looked good and were going well. Under the surface, perhaps not so much. His body started telling him what his heart and soul had been screaming for many months. Things started falling apart. It started with chronic insomnia. A blackout one day. Aches and pains and various ailments in his body, another. There were struggles to get out of bed in the morning, struggles to stay in bed at night. Relentless anxiety and depression, wrecking and ruining the peace of his life. To make matters worse, the church treasurer came and said, We don't have much time. Maybe another six months. We might make it to the end of the year, and after that, God knows what. While away on a short trip, the pastor and his wife decided that they were going to ride out that storm and go down with that ship if necessary. Some weeks earlier, he had gotten permission from his session to recycle a series of sermons on the book of Acts. This was to give him a little respite, a little bit of rest, and it was to help the church get through ordinary time. And it was during sermon prep on the story of Stephen that some rays of light broke through the dense fog of his life. In that story, Stephen stands to give a defense of his life and of his faith in Christ to a gathering of hostile religious leaders. And if you know the story, you know that at the end of the sermon, during the altar call, all hell broke loose. Instead of responding to the gospel by repenting their sins and confessing faith in Jesus, the leaders resisted the Holy Spirit and they cast their cloaks to the ground. They dragged Stephen outside the gates. And they stoned him to death. 
But it was in those final moments, while the rocks were flying at his head and pelting his body, in the final moments of his life, that Stephen lifted his eyes to the heavens and he found comfort and courage in his time of need. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And in the story, once Stephen saw Jesus, nothing else mattered. Not the rants or the rage of his enemies. Not the stripping or shaming or stoning of his body. The things of earth grew strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace. As the psalmist says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it was sitting in my office, preparing that sermon that I saw, that the beatific vision relativizes things on the earth and absolutizes the things of heaven. And it was in that moment that the light broke through. And that's what sent me on a quest to seek and perhaps even to find the face of God. So not only did I start searching the divine scriptures to discover more about what our fathers call the beatific vision, God's desire to show us his face and to share face-to-face communion with us, I also started searching the writings of the early church fathers to see what they might say about these things. And that led me to a fat and fantastic book by Hans Borsma called Seeing God. And in that book, Borsma makes the compelling case that the beatific vision is the human telos. It is the purpose of our life as promised by God through the Holy Scriptures and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone struggles to define or describe the beatific vision. St. Augustine describes it like this when he says, God will be so known by us and shall be so much before us that we shall see him by the Spirit in ourselves, in one another, and in himself. In the new heavens and the new earth, in every created thing which shall then exist. And we shall also see him in the body, in which the keen vision of the eye of the spiritual body shall reach. You can sense St. Augustine straining to express the reality of the beatific vision. I want to say it's virtually impossible to express it this side of eternity, but the truth is it is actually impossible to describe. As I've shared with many of you before, so I share again, that I want to invite you to go with me on this quest. I want to invite you to join me on this quest to seek 
the face of God. God willing, perhaps this sermon could even be part of the first steps of the journey of a thousand miles that sends us on the way. As the psalmist says, hear, O Lord, when I cry. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. What does it mean to seek God's face? What does it mean that God has a face of a kind? What does it take to experience this beatific vision promised to us in the scriptures? I'm going to take a stab at trying to answer some of those questions, but it's only a beginning. Using an analogy from the church fathers, I want to encourage you to come with me on a ladder, to climb a ladder. The fathers loved to use this imagery of a ladder. They paid close attention to the movements we see in the scripture, the peaks and the valleys, the ups, the downs. They were keen on paying attention to the various movements of the Holy Spirit, the motions of God at work in our life. And so for them, this idea of not only descending but ascending is crucial. And they're inviting us to ascend from earth to heaven on the ladder, which is Jesus Christ. So that we go from Christ, through Christ, to Christ, in the power and grace of Christ. But it's not as easy as it seems. Gregory of Nyssa describes it as a steep and difficult climb that few will even attempt. John Clematis, who lived and died on Mount Sinai, describes it as a journey fraught with dangers and delights, a true spiritual warfare. And what they describe for us is what I want to describe for you by way of analogy. What does this journey look like? It looks like climbing a ladder. One rung at a time. And the first ladder is struggle. If you want to seek God's face, you must be willing to struggle. In Genesis 32, our father Jacob wrestled the angel at night in the mud of the Jabbok. And there God blessed him. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he moved away from that place, and the Spirit tells us that he limped away because the angel of God had struck his hip. In the context of that story, Jacob struggled with God through the course of the night. Wouldn't let him go, agonized and strained to cling to God. If you want to seek God's face, you must be willing to struggle 
with God in the muck and the mire of your life. To struggle with God in the dark night of your soul. To struggle with God and to never, ever let him go. Until he blesses you. Until he shows you his face. Until he changes you in some way. This is what our fathers meant by struggle. And going up the steep climb. It begins at the bottom in the muck and the mire of the Jabbok. And once you have cleared that hurdle, continue on to sit and to wait on the Lord in the cleft of the rock. Our father Moses asked God to show him his glory, and God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, my covenant name, the name that embodies my love, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy, but you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. So he invites Moses to come up and stand in his presence on the mountain. And Moses does this. And when he appears before the Lord, the Lord says, Now I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. Sit quietly and wait. And I'm going to pass by and reveal my glory. And when the time is right, I'll remove my hand and you may see me pass by. You will hear my glory, see my backside, but you cannot see my face. And when the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed his name, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. If you want to seek the face of the Lord, you must be willing not only to stand in his presence, but to sit in the rock which is Christ and to shove your face in the dust and worship, humbling yourself before the Lord. You must be willing to wait and be patient because the Lord doesn't always reveal to you everything you want when you want it. Maybe he wants you to wait so you can grow up. Maybe he wants you to wait to test the character of your faith. Maybe he wants to wait to show you something truer and better than you ever imagined before. Your response to the Lord's work is not only to stand in his presence, but to sit quietly in the rock of Christ and to shove your face into the dust of the ground and worship him. And after you've had that moment of respite, move to the next rung. And it's at this rung that you will find yourself suffering. If you will see God's face, you must be willing to suffer. This comes to us from the book of Job, where our father Job was confronted by the reality of the devil in his life who had been unleashed by the Lord to inflict misery and suffering upon Job's life. Because the devil had said, look at Job. Does he worship you for nothing? He has all the creature comforts of anyone living in the United States of America. 
First world problems all around. Of course he's going to worship you. It cost him nothing. And the Lord says there's more to him than that. Do what you want with him. I'll show you what he's made of. And all of those creature comforts are removed. And overnight, Job becomes like a man living in the third world. Sitting on an ash heap, scraping the wounds in his body with pieces of clay that had been shattered and broken, as broken as he was. And it was while Job is sitting on that ash heap that he utters these words. I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, I shall see God. Whom I shall see for myself, my eyes shall behold and not another. But until then, my heart faints within me. If you wish to seek God's face, I want you to know what you're in for. You're in for suffering. To be tested and tried by the Lord. To prove the metal of your faith. If you wish to seek God's face, you must be willing to suffer all kinds of loss. To let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. And as you ascend to the next rung, be sure to keep your eyes open. You've got to see what the Lord is revealing to you. We learn this from Isaiah the prophet, who says that in the year that his political hero died, in the year that he felt like the nation was at its worst and things were coming to an end, in a year that he thought we're never going to come out of this mess again, in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. You've got to see beyond the people in front of you. You've got to see beyond the celebrities and the politicians. You've got to see beyond your heroes if you intend to see the Lord. And there's nothing that clarifies your vision quite like death does. In the year that my hero died, I saw the Lord. And not only did he see the Lord, but he saw the fiery creatures around the Lord who cover their faces and cover their eyes and cover themselves in various ways with wings. And they fly around and they sing the never-ending hymn. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Lord God never wearies of hearing this song tell the truth about who he is. And the whole world is shaking and Isaiah's world seems to be falling apart. And he describes himself as someone who is utterly unraveled. I am unhinged. I'm falling apart. Woe is me. Why? 
Because relative to God who is holy, 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 what am I? I'm unclean. I'm sinful. I have a dirty mouth. And when he sees the unseen and the things happening in the realm beyond the veil, he understands who he is and what he is and what his need is. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And he must be purged. He must be cleansed. He must be forgiven. Or this is the end of the ascent. As we climb to the next realm, we're seeing the unseen. Now what do we seek for? Take you back to the story of Stephen and remind you of something that happened around those days. That the same man who guarded the cloaks of the angry men who stoned Stephen to death. The same man who gave approval to Stephen's martyrdom. The same man who was cheering on that crowd. The same man who heard Stephen preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and then say, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The same man who was confronted by the Lord Jesus and blinded by the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That same man wrote these words when the light finally broke into his life. And he says to us, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Because you are baptized Christians. You have been united to Christ in his death and in his life. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. If you wish to seek God's face, You must be willing to shift your gaze from the bright and shiny things below to the brilliant and superb things above. You must be willing to shift your gaze from all the things you find so important and crucial in this life. And look beyond to the things that matter above all else to Christ who is your life. You must be willing to shift your gaze from the gods of lesser things to the true and living God. And not only that, as you make the ascent seeking the right things, you must know that all of this comes at a cost. The Apostle John tells us to see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And that is what we are. And then he says, beloved, we are God's children now. 
but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we will see Jesus as he is. And everyone who hopes in Jesus purifies himself as Jesus is pure. You've probably heard the expression that we become what we observe. And that is true in a variety of ways. Kids become like their parents and so forth. But it's truer in the gospel because when we see Jesus at the end of all things, we will be transformed into his image, conformed to his likeness. We shall be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is now in his glorified and majestic state. So how do we prepare for such an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ? Not simply by saying we want to seek him, not simply by desiring to seek him, but actually seeking him, knowing that in the process of seeking him, we must practice repentance We must confess our sins. We must pursue a transformed life. If we wish to seek God's face, we must be willing to sanctify ourselves, body and soul, which means to purge ourselves of the last vestiges of the world, the flesh, and the devil that continue to haunt us and wreak havoc in our lives. It means we have to take seriously the call to pursue holiness and to stop playing around with sin, to, not, to stop dabbling in things that are offensive to God or trespassing his laws. We have to take seriously the pursuit and the practice of holiness as we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. And last but not least, as we ascend the ladder, is what does it take to get to the top of the ladder to behold the face of God? It takes stamina, steadfastness, because it ain't easy to climb such a steep ladder. In Revelation 1, we have the story of the revelation of Jesus Christ to his friend, John. By all accounts, John is quite an old man, living in exile all alone, just awaiting the end of his life. And it is on the Lord's day that he is caught up in the spirit as he worships God, as he's always done. And it was in that moment as he has answered the question, why am I here and what am I seeking, that the answer comes to him in a vision. He says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head are white, white like wool, white like snow, 
His eyes are like flames of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. John is confronted with this mysterious person, and he's checking him out head to toe, trying to figure out who he is. And last but not least, he says, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. After all these years, John sees his old friend, Jesus, once again. But he hardly recognizes it. Because he's been glorified and transformed. And as John stares into the unapproachable light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, as he stares at this unapproachable majesty, he falls to the ground as one dead because he wishes he were dead. And in the vision, we see Jesus set aside the seven stars in his hands and stoop down to get close to his friend, John, and to put his hand on him and say, John, it's me. You're going to be okay. You made it all the way home. It is in the face of Jesus Christ that John sees not only the light of Christ, but he sees the love and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is who awaits us at the top of the ladder, at the end of all things, at the destination of of our journey. Over the past few years, I've been echoing the sentiment of something I read in a book titled A Sometimes Stumbling Life. I love this. I feel like the seasoned pastor who prayed in his 20s Lord, grant me to lead the world to Christ. And then in his 30s, he prayed, Lord, grant that I can lead this city to Christ. In his 40s, his prayer changed to, Lord, grant me the grace to lead this congregation to Christ. And as he reached his 50s, his prayer became, Lord, don't let me lose too many. And don't let go of me. In the last few months, as I look to the future, as I look to the future of my life and ministry and however many years the Lord might grant me, my prayers become 
a bit more focused. One thing. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. As some of you know, three years ago this summer, my mother was diagnosed with leukemia. And just a few short months later, she experienced what her physicians described as a blast crisis. When her physicians in the emergency room finished explaining the gravity of her situation, there was a brief moment of silence. And I asked my mother, Do you understand what this means? And she smiled and said, I'm going to see the face of Jesus. And the very next day, that's what she did. It was the worst day of our lives. but the best day of hers. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ has a way of relativizing everything on the earth and absolutizing everything in heaven. As the old hymn puts it so well, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So sisters and brothers, friends, strangers, I ask you all once again, what do you seek? What are you looking for in this life and in your family, in your work, in retirement? What do you want to see more than anything else in the whole wide world? What is the one thing that is going to keep you going in life and in death, no matter what? Do you believe that you shall look upon the Lord in the land of the living? Whatever your answers to those questions might be, let me urge you with all your heart to wait for the Lord. To be strong, to let your heart take courage, to wait for the Lord. And trust that he will do for you what he did for Jacob and Moses and Job and Isaiah and Paul and John. He will hide you in his shelter in the day of your trouble. He will conceal you under the cover of his tent. He will lift you high upon a rock. He will show you the face 
of his son Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. O Lord, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In the old creation, your spirit hovered over the face of the deep, and you said, let light shine out of darkness, and it shone. In the new creation, your spirit has caused the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts. Hide not your face from us. Turn not your servants away in anger. O you who have been our help, cast us not away. Forsake us not, O God of our salvation. May the splendor of your majesty illuminate our hearts. And may we pass beyond the visible heavens, beyond the sun, the moon, the stars, and every shining thing. And may we see the blessedness of your beautiful face in the light of the glory and grace of our Savior Jesus. May we walk through the midst of the darkness and afflictions of this world, content with that light, that life, and that love by which you have called us upward and heavenward to the hope of eternal face-to-face communion with you, which you have promised us and purchased for us by the sacrifice and suffering of the body and blood of your only begotten Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.